Welcome to the number one South Asian radio station in North America. Ruckus Avenue Radio. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle. And as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by musician, composer, and producer, Rashi Kulkarni. Stay tuned. So I think I live with a soundtrack playing in my head. Music that combines elements of who I was, who I am, and who I continue to evolve into. By the way, thank you all for who you are in listening and subscribing for sharing this show with others, and for following us on social media at My Good Friend. So the music we live by, much of it has likely been created by artists who create moods and temperatures and scenes. So it was great to share a conversation with composer and musician Rashi Kulkarni. Rashi is an Indian American who is a globally recognized world music artist and pianist, and has a master's in music from USC as part of her ongoing study and work. Her television and film score compositions have garnered a lot of attention as she's worked on several Hollywood presentations, including Supergirl, The Flash, and DC Legends of Tomorrow. Recently, she was the first person of Indian origin to be selected for the 2021-23 Universal Composers Initiative, part of NBC Universal's Global Talent Development and Inclusion. We chatted about her selection, about the road to get there, and about representation and mentoring. And we started by talking about how the pandemic has perhaps reframed her creative process as an artist. It's a really great question. And I have to say that it, the last year has made me very re- reflective and given me a lot of perspective on life and death because it, it's this pandemic has affected my family directly we've we've lost family members to covid and it's taken a toll on my mental health and my physical health and since uh i create from my soul it it you know it, it took a toll on how i approach creating and um yeah so it's it's definitely been a difficult year but it's definitely made me more deliberate and intentional about what I want to put out into the world. What was it in some ways, did it change your, your process? Did it make you pause more? Um, oh, hundred percent. Yeah. And, and yes. even as you did, so uh, was the idea of even creating, did it, did it bring about new challenges in, in trying to do so because of the different kind of swirl of moods that were out there? Absolutely. I mean, I had a difficult time creating for myself and I'm still kind of going through that even now. Uh, I do work primarily in film and television, so that schedule didn't change. So I did go in and I wrote to picture when I was required to, but internally I have not really created as much as I would have liked to over the past year, just because I'm trying to grapple with everything that's gone on and and that's okay too. 
Yeah. You know, I, I've talked to others and I've thought about this, that, you know, times of, of those extremes where you're celebratory, you're excited versus more contemplative, even sad and withdrawn, those potentially are times of like creative explosion because there's, you know, there's loss involved, but there, but there is also on the opposite spectrum, you know, lots to really think about even elation. Have those swings for you sort of produced some of that creative explosion, but not necessarily been able to manifest in the, in the ways that you have had before. Absolutely. Yep. You, you said it. Absolutely. I mean, there are ideas that flow through me and I record them, but you know, it's a matter of putting pen to paper and actually writing it out, recording it that I haven't gotten to yet because I'm just not there yet, you know, but the ideas definitely have come uh, and I record them all. I save everything. And when I'm ready to release it into the world, I will. But um, yeah, I'm just kind of taking my time to release anything that's a, like a, anything personal. I'm still working on projects to picture, but I think that if, if I've learned anything from the last year, it's that if I, if I share anything, it's going to be completely authentic and intentional. Yeah. And almost that in, in many ways, valuing the pause, um, Absolutely. As, as opposed to before where, you know, this is something that, that none of us perhaps were doing at least in the same way. And actually, well, to that point, you know, I I've talked about this with a few of my other friends who are composers, who are artists, and there's almost this expectation that artists have to churn out music and keep putting out new material every single month. But that's, that's not how it should be. I really think that there shouldn't be this pressure on musicians to constantly have to churn out music. That's not, that's not the way <laughs> things were in the past. And I think it's just become this trend, especially in the last decade. So that's why I'm like, you know, you see artists who take years to put out a record. And I think that's a beautiful thing too, taking your time to really marinate and sit with something and release it when you're ready to release it. Yeah. You know, how would you almost in some ways describe your voice to, uh, of your music to someone who's sort of hearing your music for the first time, if they were being introduced to you and, and in many ways, and I imagine that this is the case, but how does it serve as sort of a proxy for your personality, your background? Oh, it, everything ties in, you know, I was born and raised here in the U S but my parents are from India. So my music is very much a reflection of that. It's this combination of Western classical with, and, and uh, Indian classical with hints of jazz and hints of Broadway and pop. It's, it's, a, you know, conglomeration of all these things that I am. So my music is basically a, a conglomerate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and a healthy one at that, right? I mean, is, is, are these all the types of music or genres of music that, that you were listening to growing up? Did your, was your, your parents pretty influential in, in exposing you to that pretty early on? Oh, yeah. I mean, in my house, we grew up listening to everything under the sun. Uh, every evening, we'd my dad would uh, turn on Western classical music or Indian classical music or, you know, there'd be some uh, Bollywood uh, music playing on TV. Like every evening we had something playing in the house. And although 
the rest of my family, it doesn't pursue music full time. Music is really what ties us all together. We're all music lovers. Does that mean that this idea of musical performance and compositions kind of been woven into your day-to-day being? Were you that, that kid who was constantly humming and thinking and dreaming um, of all of these things uh, as you go along? A hundred percent. I recently found this old home video uh, where I was playing the harmonium and I was six years old. I hadn't even started taking piano lessons, but I gravitated toward the harmonium and started playing like the DDLJ <laughs> song. Right. And it all goes back to DDLJ. Right? It all goes back to DDLJ. But when I watched the video back, I had never seen this video. I just recently saw it like a couple months ago. And when I watched it back, I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't even, I was like playing the right fingers and I'm, and I hadn't taken lessons before. So just by ear, I picked it up and uh, I realized that this was, yeah, this was what I was meant to do. Um, and actually I don't, you can see this little mini keyboard right here. Yeah. This was the first keyboard I ever played on uh, when I was like, five or six years old. And my mom recently found it. And when she, she came to visit me here in LA, she brought it. We hadn't, I hadn't seen it in, I don't even know how long. So yes, it's a, it's very much, um, the keys were what I gravitated yeah. towards. But I mean, the, the muscle memory, right. Of either going back to your very first keyboard or even just sitting at a harmonium and yeah. you know, with your, with one hand playing the keys and the other hand, just sort of, you know, letting the the airflow in. I had um, no, I have no idea how I just naturally knew how to do that. Yeah. But when I watched it back, I was like, yep, this is nothing has changed. <laughs> like, right. And it's, and it's easy and, and sort of fun to, to go back and, and do, do those like snippets and those memories, whether they be the music you listen to in your childhood or, you know, the fact of, of, thinking about how something sounds on a harmonium. Does that resonate even now as you compose? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that any musician will tell you that when you, when you sit at your instrument, there's just a different realm that you enter. And that has happened for me since I was a kid. The second I would sit at the piano bench, I literally would enter a different world. And that happens even now. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I spoke with Shobhan Adiron, who's a, you know, Broadway performer. And we were talking about the intersections of her, some of her roles on Broadway with Bharatnakyam. You know, I'm curious whether some of your compositions and some of your scores, you're conscious of saying, Hey, I think Rag Bhairavi is, would sound great here or, you know, how to, to weave and blend some of those together. Um, is, does that enter your consciousness uh, or is it just happening, you know, uh, organically without you even knowing it? I think it happens pretty organically just because I've grown up listening to both styles of music, meaning Western and Indian. And it just kind of has shaped my voice. And as I've gotten older, I've, truly found my voice. And my goal is that, you know, when someone listens to a piece of my music and they don't know who's written it, they'll listen to the theme. They'll listen to the way it sounds and be like, Oh, that's Rashi. Do you find that that's, that's slowly, but surely already happening. 
Um, especially for those who are, you know, listening to your music and, and they're appreciating it and they're seeing it uh, on display in, in various venues. I think so. And I think that there is a beauty and there's, there's something special about creating music that is a hundred percent authentic to who you are, because that's going to shine through. And uh, yeah, as I've grown older, I think I've, I have found my voice and I know, you know, how things, how I want things to sound. And I wonder, is, is it important for that voice to, to change and evolve and not necessarily be compartmentalized in saying that there's a, you know, it's so important and impressive for a, for a style of music to be branded. And yet, is it always much more creatively dynamic when that voice is, is changing and it brings in new influences and new styles? Absolutely. I mean, you know, I speak through my music. So what I can't say in words, I say in music and I'm not the same person I was 10 years ago. I'm not, I'm probably going to be a little bit different in 10 years. And so I want my music to evolve how I'm evolving. And I, and I think that's going to happen regardless, because if you stay authentic to your craft, you're as you grow, your music's going to grow too. And not only that, because my job quite literally requires me to write different genres of music every single day and expose myself to different stories and different artists. Like I have become more worldly and more collaborative and, and just have gotten better as a musician. Yeah. So, so naturally my, my music has also grown. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with musician and composer Rashi Kulkarni. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with Rashi Kulkarni. Let me ask you this. You were selected for NBC Universal's Composers Initiative and, you know, in fact, the first Indian origin person to be selected for this program ever. Why does this matter? And, and for that matter, why should it matter? Such a great question. Well, first, it's such an honor to be selected uh, for this initiative, as you mentioned, uh, NBC Universal has put together this two-year program, and it basically elevates underrepresented voices in our industry. And even when I was talking to them, uh, the, all the executives about what this means to me, I I said it then, and I'll say it now. It's it's not about me. It's about the next generation of musicians and composers who see someone who looks like them pursuing this field, something in entertainment. And I really hope that it opens more doors for not only women, but other minorities, because doing music is not something that, you know, is necessarily seen as very common. Sure. I definitely, you know, and I, I definitely didn't have someone who looked like me growing up, uh, that I could say, Oh, 
so-and-so is a film composer. And I, I hope that there are young girls who, you know, see someone who looks like them and don't even question wanting to pursue this. There was a lot of risk when I decided to make the jump from corporate to pursue this field. Um, so, and then as everyone says, representation matters. And the reason is because our, our stories humanize us. And if the, the more that we can share other people's stories, other perspectives, I, the more empathetic we're all going to become. So there's so many layers to this. I could, I could talk for an hour just about this. Right, right. I wonder if that experience that you just shared saying that it provides a window into the community, but it also provides a, in some ways, a roadmap for the community. And I don't know if you've experienced this, you know, yet, or you already have or, or not. I wonder how this process and selection into this role has made you a better teacher or even someone who might, you know, prospectively mentor somebody else. Has it taught you anything uh, in that way? Absolutely. I mean, for the last year, I've actually been teaching A.R. Iman's daughter and I teach her music theory and orchestration and being able to pass down what I know to somebody. It's, it's such a, such a gratifying experience. Yeah. And, um, and before I moved to LA, I used to teach piano and flute, uh, every single week, being able to just pass down what I know, pass down what my teachers taught me to the next generation. That's, this is, that's what it's all about. Yeah. And I, and I actually recently got to talk to AR sir. And I told him on zoom, (laughs) I told him, that I was six years old when I started listening to your music and you are one of the reasons I wanted to become a film composer. And he was so kind. And he said, look, this is a full circle moment because I'm, I'm teaching his kids. And he's like, this is a circle. And that, uh, I mean, that made, that was just one of the most like surreal conversations that I was, that I ever had. Yeah, it kind of doesn't get any more circular, if you will, than that. But what a thrill uh, and and kind of good segue into this one. I mean, I've asked this question a lot to folks, but does creating contemporary, innovative music, does it require a really keen reverence to the past and, you know, studying that very well in order to be a terrific uh, innovator? I think so, to a degree. Um I grew up learning Chopin, Mozart, Brahms, Bach, Beethoven, all of those composers created in such a way that made me a better composer. I do think it's important to learn what other other composers have done, not just in one genre, but in every genre. Be a sponge, because when you're a sponge, you're going to figure out what your voice is. Yeah. Does the reverence to the past, as you said, being so broad, we always think about composition and Western classical or Indian classical music, but do we also learn from the contemporary classics, if you will, 
um, whether they're popular or whether they're scores that are, are done for um, films that just came out yesterday, whether it's the music that's in the background on a TikTok video. Absolutely. I think that there is, there should be reverence for all art around us because it was created from your soul It's cre or from someone's soul. And I, I think that, you know, being able to not only analyze what other people have done, but respect the fact that they have spent their lives honing a craft and their talent and have spent time putting something out into the world. So yes, I mean, there's extreme reverence for that. You've completed so much academic work and, and scholarship even in music. Do, do you need to have some rigor and structured process to elevate music and composition beyond a certain point? Or, or does raw talent in some ways transcend all of that? That's such a great question. And I don't think that my answer is wrong or right. I think that, you know, it really depends on the person. For me, I opted to go and get my master's because going to grad school opened the doorway and the network for me to pursue film scoring. So I don't think that someone necessarily has to go get their master's to be a star or release really great music. It's, I do think that raw talent plus hard work is what will take someone to the next level without the hard work. Uh, some, anyone can have the talent, but you have to have the drive and the persistence to want to make this a career. I wonder how that study and the structure that it applies when you study it, how, how has that helped you to, you know, do something basic that say the music naive person would think about things like practice, things like preparation. Um, has it changed? Did it change the way that you, you approach the practice environment or even, um, you know, the creative environment? Absolutely. I mean, I grew up with teachers who had studied at conservatories and instilled the importance of practice and discipline. It's really the discipline that I learned from a young age. And that was what my teachers taught me, because without actually spending the hours practicing, I wouldn't be the pianist I am today. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I do think that, um, you know, taking the time to practice, to practice smart, uh, putting in the hours that are necessary to just get better at your craft. I mean, I think that's with anything, you know, and not just music. To something that you can apply to, to an industry. Um, Absolutely. Is, is that really where the, the academics have really helped support that process? Yeah, you know, I talk about this with my parents a lot, that I was very lucky to have amazing teachers who gave me platforms to perform in front of large audiences at a young age. I grew up in a very, very small town in Maryland. And I still remember when I was like in fourth grade, my band teacher made me get up in front of the school and play like a flute solo. I had only been playing for a couple of months, but it's this, this encouragement that my teacher's you know, gave me. And I don't think that I would have had that sort of confidence 
uh, myself, but knowing that these mentors selflessly taught me and wanted me to succeed, I'm still in touch with so many of my mentors and, and my teachers that I grew up with because they really believed in me. And I think having that encouragement and support and having people tell you, you know what, you can do this like yeah. full time. That's kind of where I was like, wow, maybe I can, maybe I can do this as like a job. Yeah. Um. <laughs> confidence as an artist also allow you the licensure to experiment more and even fail because you feel like, Hey, you know, I, it's okay if I, if I do that. And, you know, having mentors who are also okay with that and teachers who are also okay with that. I'm, I'm imagining that that helps out quite a bit. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think it's so much about, I think it, I think it's more about the feeling I get when I play something or when I create something, am I creating something that is going to make me feel something? And if I can translate that across, if I'm playing something live and someone else can feel that energy, or if I'm scoring something to picture and my music is coming across on screen and someone remembers what I played, they're humming it or or, you know, they start crying or, you know, something like for me, it's more about, can I, can I get that emotion across? That's what the most important thing for me is as a musician. You know, in, when you create music that has wide universal reach, how do you balance the appeal and listenability of a piece with the specificity and nuance of being a master at that music is, is there a is there a line that you you draw is is it actually that intentional uh, or is it far more organic than that i have found when i work with directors or producers it's a conversation because i am part of the storytelling process and it's it's a collaboration where we talk about what is going to serve the story and what is going to serve the picture and the scene. Mm. So when it comes to scoring, it's um, yeah. Sometimes I'll move the needle as much as I can, but at the end of the day, it's a very collaborative process. Now, when I'm creating for myself, then I can just do whatever. Right, <laughs> and, right. and, and, and I think that's as an artist, we should have that kind of creative freedom to, you know, put out what, what we're feeling in that moment. And, um, and like you said, you know, it, it might fail in the sense that not everyone will like it, but at the end of the day, I realize I'm not creating music for everybody. I'm creating yeah. it for myself. Right. Right. So. And as music is, way more accessible and available, you know, to everyone at, at, at really any, any corner. How have you been able to use your work as a vehicle in this kind of 2021 world we live in for relationship building and trust? Wow. What a fantastic question. I've definitely used my collaborations in film and television as a basis for my, my relationships across the industry, because there is a level of trust that you have to have with your director and vice versa, because you are telling a story together. 
So being authentic and true and trying to understand the headspace of a director or a producer, whoever I'm working with, trying to really understand what are, what are they trying to tell in this story and how can I help them achieve that goal? That has been such a great basis for many strong friendships that I have created here in, in Hollywood. Um, as far as my artist side, um, I've gotten to work with so many different artists who, you know, they're all masters of their craft, uh, whether they're an instrumentalist or a vocalist. And again, it's always this authentic conversation of what are we trying to put out into the world? And I think when you have those honest conversations with people, then the relationship automatically grows. Well, I think the honesty and the authenticity of your music and the relationships that they're developing and cultivating and producing are, are worth the, the wait for the next piece of music that you that you produce. And we're all very grateful for it. Um, Rashi, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been a real treat, and I hope we can visit with you again. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Rashi. And you can learn more about her at rashikulkarni.com. A big shout out and thank you for the inspiration to my tai, Tanuja Sheikh, the pride of Libertyville, Illinois. Chicago, summer, 1984. Good times and we need to catch up soon. Lastly, if you're eligible for a booster, go get it. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dharnika. This is Shiksha Meitani, a.k.a. Bolly Girl. Make sure to check out my show, Bollywood Break, for the latest Bollywood songs, news, and gossip on Mondays, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, only on Ruckus Avenue Radio.